everyone. Good to see all of you here. About uh, many years ago, to be precise, 1887, there was an article written by a German philosopher called Friedrich Nietzsche. Am I, did, did I pronounce correctly, honey? Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, the article is called The Madman. The Madman. Let me read to you the article. Just a one-page contribute to the magazine called Gay and Science in 1887. This is what he said. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing together there, he excited considerable laughter. Why did he get lost, said one? Did he lose his way like a child, said another? Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage or immigrated? Thus they yelled and they laughed. The madman sprung into their midst and pierced them with his glances. Where is God? he cried. I shall tell you. We have killed him. You and I, all of us, are his murderers. But how have we done this? How were we able to drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What did we do when we unchained this earth from its sun? Where is it moving now? Where are we moving now? Away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backward, sideward, forward in all directions? Is there any up or down left? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it now become colder? Is not night and more night coming on all the time? Must not lanterns be lit in the morning? Do we not hear anything yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are bearing God? Do we not smell anything yet of God's decomposition? God decomposed too, you know? God is dead and we have killed Him. How shall we, the murderers of all murderers, comfort ourselves? What was holiest and most powerful of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must not we ourselves become God simply to seem worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever will be born after us, for the sake of this deed, he will be part of a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent, and looked again at his listeners. And they too were silent, and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern off the ground, and it broke out and went out. It has been related further that on the same day, the madman 
entered churches and there sang a hymn. Let out and called to account, he is said to have replied each time, What are these churches now if they are not the tombs and sepulchres of God? God is dead. We have killed him. I'm not going to discuss on what this article intend to be uh, when Nietzsche wrote that. But he popularized the phrase, God is dead, and he died a very miserable man eventually. But you and I know that we worship, we not only believe in the existence of God, uh, we believe that this God makes himself known to us. He came down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But prior to that, He reveals to us through the prophets telling us who God is, but accumulating in the person of Jesus Christ that this God put a face to it. And when we look at Jesus, we know this is God. And Jesus dwelt on earth for 33 years, died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then he ascended to heaven. And for those who believe him, he sent the Holy Spirit then to dwell in us, to walk with him and to grow in him. But the greater question as Christians we need to ask ourselves is, who is this God? Not just believing in God, but who is this God? Do you know the characteristics of this God? I'm of the idea that we need to be reminded more often than we need to be instructed. As you grow as a Christian, as you attend church 10 years, 15 years, you hear all sermons, what is it that you're learning new other than being reminded of the things, isn't it? And so today, I want to touch on this topic in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, in this series called A Season to Build. Uh, the title simply is called Knowing the God we worship knowing the God we worship knowing the God we worship Nehemiah started his journey by responding to God's call to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the war because the exiles had went over there they don't have a war to protect them they were in danger and so through a lot of struggles a lot of disappointment, a lot of all kinds of things, troubles. He managed to build the wall together with the people in 52 days. And we concentrate on that in chapter 1 to 7. It's all about construction. And then from chapter 8 onwards, it's about instruction. Chapter 1 to 6, or 7, 6, uh, is about building the wall. But the second half of it is about building the people. And so... Uh, as we, we all know, what's the point of a war? What's the point of a, built, a nice, beautiful church if the people within that are not reformed and renewed? And so Nehemiah shift then, bring Ezra into the scenes and begin to reform the people. And last week we talked about, or two weeks ago, we talked about being renewed, how to renew ourselves spiritually. And today, we're going to look at this part where, where they prayed a very long prayer. Nehemiah is a long prayer. It's the longest prayer outside of the book of Psalms. And interestingly, uh, most of the beautiful prayers are found in chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9, Ezra chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. You could read of all those beautiful prayers prayed by uh, 
sense of God. And today we're going to look at chapter 9 of Nehemiah. And I have three points for you. And uh, the second point, I will have another five sub-points for you. And it is the uh, section that I want to elaborate most because it talks about the character of God. Who is this God that we worship? We need to be reminded again and again, who is this God? Not just only that we believe in God, but who is this God? And in this passage, as they make this prayer, it recounts back the Exodus incident and judges and all that. And from there, we begin to see who this God is. But the first point that I want to give to you, there's a play of words, is the word remember. Remember. We must remember to remember. Remember to remember. Because if we have no memory, we are adrift. Because memory anchors us to the past, interprets our presence, and charts a course for the future. Memory anchors us to the past, interprets the present, and charts a course for the future. For example, when a thief was on the, or, or, or the word remembering, in Bible it's called remembering. Re, break up the two words, remembering. Reattaching something that has been amputated. It is a whole person activity where the past comes alive in the present and suggests action for the future. For example, uh, the thief on the cross said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. And consider the, the, uh, the Exodus account of the Ten Commandments. Say, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And we know, even if you attend birthday party for the children, if the organizer give out something and the kids will be saying, Hey, me, 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 remember me, remember me, me, me. Don't. It's almost like saying, Favor me, favor me. Let my reality come before your mind in a vivid way so that you will act towards me with grace. And that's the kind of memory that anchors us to the past, tells us where we are in the present, and charge a cost for the future. We need to remember because our hearts are always prone to wander away. Prone to wander. The Bible says we are prone to wander away. Leave it on its own, we were prone to wander away. And that is why accountability, church, small group, Bible study is a form of ways to be accountable, to keep us in the journey. And so remember to remember. As you can see, verse 1 to 5, they remember. They remember on the 24th day of the same month. Remember, they celebrated uh, the first day of the month. is always the Feast of Trumpets. And then the day 10 is Day of Atonement. And then day 15 onwards is the Feast of Booths that we, we talk about. They come together to study and then they discover this, instructed the Bible, and they quickly go and do that. Remember? 
in chapter 8, it talks about that. And then while they were there, they recalled the Exodus account and all that. And now, in 24 months, actually it's over already, but they deliberately still come together to remember, spend extra time. So on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remember, they recall. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. How many hours is that? Six hours. And not over yet. And spent another quarter in confession and in worshipping the Lord their God. Standing on the stairs of the Levites were Jeshua, Bunny, da-da-da, They cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. And then, da-da-da-da-da, all the two sets of priests just, you know, it's almost like uh, running the service where the, where the priests stand one side calling upon the people and then the people respond. He says, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. They take time to remember and to recall what was the past? And when they recall, they begin to confess their sins to the Lord, even from what the forefather has done. And when they do that, great things happen. And so the first point I want to give to you is remember to remember. Remember to remember. Because our hearts often are easily prone to wander away, and we have to consciously make an effort to remember. Remember what? Number two. Remember the character of God. Remember this God. Who is this God that you actually worship? Not just only believing in God. You need to know who is this God. Remember the character of God. And under this long prayer from verses 5 to 31, there are five characteristics that are mentioned in this prayer. As they recall the account Five characters that you cannot, not exclusively, only confine, but other part as well. But this pretty much summarizes up very neatly who God is. Number one, His greatness. This God that you worship is a great God. His greatness. Look at verse 5 and 6, it tells us. When they say, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Come on, is it? Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heavens worship you. The greatness of God. He is eternal, he says here. He is unique. He is a creator. He is a preserver. As creator and preserver, we are reminded that God is sovereign above all. That life comes from Him and not from ourselves. So all praise goes to the creator and not the creation. St. Augustine says, Idolatry comes when the world forgets you. Meaning God, right? Idolatry, idolatry comes when the world forgets you, its creator, 
and falls in love with what you have created instead of with you. God's greatness, He created all things. He is the maker of heaven and earth. There is an intelligent designer behind that. Did you know that oxygen level on earth, oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere? That precise figure is an anthropic constant that makes life on earth possible. If oxygen were 25%, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it were 15%, human beings would suffocate. But it was 21%. Did you know that if the interaction were greater than it currently is, the moon-earth gravitational interaction, if the interaction were greater than it currently is, tidal effects on the ocean's atmosphere and rotational period would be too severe. If it were less, orbital changes would cause climatic instabilities. In other event, life on Earth would be impossible. Carbon dioxide level. Did you know that if the CO2 level were higher than it is now, a runaway greenhouse effect would develop? We'll all be burned up. If the level were lower than it is now, plants would not be able to maintain efficient photosynthesis. We'll all be suffocated. Gravity. If the gravitational force were altered by just 0.0000000000001%, our sun would not exist. And therefore, neither would we. Talk about precision. Speed of light. Any of the laws of physics can be described as a function of the velocity of light. Even the slight variation in the speed of light would alter the other constants and preclude the possibility of life on earth. Water vapors levels. If water vapors level in the atmosphere were greater than they are now, a runaway greenhouse effect would cause temperature to rise too high for human life. And if they were less, an insufficient greenhouse effect would make the earth too cold to support human life. Jupiter. Did you know that Jupiter were not, if it is not in the current orbit, the earth would be bombarded with space materials? Jupiter's gravitational field acts as a cosmic vacuum cleaner, attracting asteroids and comets that might otherwise strike Earth. The Earth's rotation. If the rotation of the Earth took longer than 24 hours, temperature differences would be too great between night and day. If the rotation period was shorter, atmospheric wind velocities would be too great. Atmospheric discharge. If the atmospheric discharge lightning rate were greater, there would be too much fire destruction. If it were less, there would be little nitrogen fixings in the soil. God is the creator. And that is why Hebrew chapter 1 knows that. The author of Hebrews, we don't know who, most likely Apollos, definitely not Paul. He said, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. Now listen to this in verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful words. Sustaining the universe. Not just only created it, but sustained the universe. The universe is a cosmos instead of chaos. An ordered and reliable system instead of an erratic and unpredictable muddle. 
and only because Jesus Christ upholds it. The greatness of God, this God that you and I worship, is a great God. I don't know what other adjective to use. Number two, the uh, prayer account not just only reminds us about His greatness, but it also reminds us of His promises. Reminds us of His promises. Look at this uh, in verse 7 and 8. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give to his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, not Parasites, okay? uh, Jebusites and all that. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. Their prayer also reminds us of this God that we worship, that this God wants us to remember His promises. Please remember, it's not so much on the promises. It's who is the promiser. I can make you all kinds of promises. Your builder can say all kinds of promises to you. It means nothing. What means everything is who is the promiser. And the one that promises us is God. And here, the account, remember, God, you made this promise. You chose Abraham. And as a result, the descendants came about. And you promised Abraham you'll give them land, people, and blessings. And they were in wilderness. They were in uh, uh, Exodus account in, in Pharaoh's under the rule in Egypt, and eventually they entered the Promised Land. Did you know that the outworking of the entire Old Testament after Genesis 12 is the outworking of this Genesis 12 uh, that God made a promise to Abraham, and God kept that promise. God kept that promise even to today, since after 1948, uh, Israel as a nation come together after being not having a nation for thousands and thousands of years. And God has chosen the Jewish people to bless the earth. You cannot deny that. A couple of weeks ago, I read to you some of the contribution by the Jewish people. And even the most recent one of the Thai boys football team, you know, went and, and caught themselves in the, in the grave. And what led them out is using a very sophisticated technology invented by the Jews. God promises. Remember that this God, He promised something and He will bring it to fulfillment. I could think of so many things that God has promised to us. God's presence, He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's protection, I am your shield. God's power, I will strengthen you. God's provision, I will provide for you. God's leading, God's purposes, God's rest, they say, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And by the way, in that context, it's about the burden of keeping laws, alright? Jesus is saying in the context of Jewish people having these laws, to give, come to me, I'll give you rest. And you're going to have a relationship with me, and when you have a relationship with me, the law automatically will come to fulfillment into your life. Come to me. 
God's cleansing, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just. He will forgive our sin. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's goodness, Psalms 84, no good thing will He withhold from them who walk rightly with God. God's faithfulness, the Lord will not forsake His people. God's guidance, God's wise plan, all things work together for good. There are so many promises in the Bible. And we need to remember that God's promises will always come to pass. He is not slow. He is patient. Remember that. He is not slow. He is patient. So, so not just only His greatness, His promises. The third thing I want to tell you from this prayer is His loving power. His loving power. That's a wonderful combination of loving and having the power. Look at what verse 9 to 12 says of this God. You saw the misery of our ancestors in Egypt and you heard their cries from beside the Red Sea. You displayed miraculous signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his officials and all his people for you knew how arrogantly they were treating our ancestors. You have a glorious reputation that has never been forgotten. You divided the Red Sea for your people so they could walk through on dry land. And then you hurled their enemies into the depths of the sea. They sank like stones beneath the muddy waters. You led our ancestors, ancestors by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at the night so that they could find their Way. The prayer moves from Abraham to Moses. It moves from creation to the nation of his salvation, from God's grace in establishing a community to his power in redeeming them, guiding them. All right, I promised Abraham that I want to give him a land. Now I'm going to lead you out from Egypt and I will guide you all the way to your promised land. God's love saw the suffering and His power did something about it. Many people have love but no power to help. While others have forceful power but minimal love. But love without power is helpless and power without love is dangerous. But in Psalm 62, verse 11 and 12, it tells us that God is both loving and powerful. He said, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. That only God is both powerful and loving. I always tell people, people may disagree with me, we always like a democratic uh, system of government and all that. But I think biblical perfect government is a benevolent dictator. But we can't find on earth. God, in some sense, is a benevolent dictator. He is both powerful and He is both loving. And this is the God that we worship. He is both powerful and loving. As you can see, He guides them through. During the third century, when uh, St. Felix of Nola was running from his enemies, uh, he took refuge in a cave. And eventually, as he was in the cave, eventually a spider began to weave a web across the small opening. Sealing it off and making it look like nobody had been inside for months. As a result, 
his pursuer pass by and never bother looking there because he saw this spider web there. And later, stepping out into the sunshine, uh, Felix says this. Felix says, where God is, where God is, a spider web is a wall. And where God isn't, a wall is but a spider's web. Where God is, a spider's web is a wall. And where He isn't, a wall is but a spider's web. God is both loving and powerful. You need to remember that as believers. Number fourth one that I want to give to you is abundant, generous goodness and grace. As we read from verse 13 to 15, as we read from verse 19 to 25, it summarizes up telling us this God that we worship is abundant, generous, goodness and grace. Let me read to you first and I'll give you some thoughts on that. Look at what it says here. You came down at Mount Sinai and you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations. You gave them instructions that were just. By the way, law, drawing boundaries are actually good. A lot of us tend to think that boundaries are depriving our joy and freedom and pleasure. But, but Christians should see boundary as maximizing joy. Can you imagine playing games without boundary? Can you imagine playing footy or tennis or squash or whatever? No boundary. What joy is there to play any sports without any boundary? I walk at some time. I don't walk there now. Uh, I, I used to walk at uh, Malam Malam Creek. Sometimes I cross paths with Jim and Ruth once or twice. Uh, as I begin my walk, there's always this uh, child care center. You know? They have a boundary. And all these kids will be hanging there waving at me. And sometimes they drop their toys or or balls and all that, they'll ask me to pick it up for them and I'll throw it back. And I like to think that the boundary is to help the kids to maximize their joy, maximize their, their, their fun. And boundary for us is always good. It's just like a sports. It actually maximizes joy. So God gave them regulations and instructions that were just and decrees and commands that were good. You instructed them concerning your holy Sabbath and you commanded them through Moses, your servant, to obey all your commands, decrees and instructions. You gave them bread from heaven when they were hungry. You gave them water from the rock when they were thirsty. You commanded them to go and take possession of the land you had sworn to give them because of your great compassion. Now let me just move to 19. That's, I, that's a break, right? Verse 15 and verse 19. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years, you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. I don't know. Maybe they only have one, one suit for 40 years. No fashion. They let nothing, their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen in 40 years. 
You gave them kingdoms and nations allotting to them even the remotest frontier. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Hezbon, and the country of Orkin of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. God is a good God. He met their spiritual need of having a personal relationship with God. He provided their moral needs. They give them law. He provided their physical needs, Sabbath rest, material needs, bread, water. In totally unmerited generosity, God does seven things if you look at it. He gave them geographical direction. He gave them spiritual insight. He gave them material provision. He gave them adequate clothing. He gave them physical stamina. He gave them military success. He gave them numerical strength by multiplying them. Abundance, abundance and abundance of grace and goodness and mercy that God has showered upon us. And this is the God that we worship. Whenever I talk about grace, people will come to me and say, Pastor, aren't you encouraging people to sin more? You know what I always said? I say, I'm never afraid of Christian abusing God's grace. I'm more afraid about Christian becoming self-righteous. Because there's warning in the Bible concerning people who are self-righteous, but there's no warning concerning abusing God's grace. And in my years as a pastor, I have never encountered one Christian deliberately abusing God's grace. But I have encountered many Christians truly, honestly struggle very deeply of pain and their sins. And also, I like to answer, theoretically, this seems a reasonable fear, but in re reality, the opposite is always true. Love will always call for love. The more rooted we are in the love of God, the more generously we live our faith and practice it. The story goes that a public sinner was excommunicated and forbidden entry to the church. And so he took his woes to, the, to God. He said, God, they won't let me in, Lord because I'm a sinner. And God said, what are you complaining about? They won't let me in either. We seem to have a problem with God's grace. May we know that God is a good God. He's generous. He's abundantly generous goodness and grace. It's not up to you to judge. Leave it to God, not you. We don't know people's struggle. We don't. We don't. Many people struggle deeply. And I don't think they deliberately abuse God's grace. They do struggle deeply out of weakness. Finally, God's character is... Sorry, I missed all these verses. Now you can go. His patience and mercy. His patience and and mercy. God is a patient God and He is full of 
mercy. Look at verse 16 to 18 and then 26 to 31. But they, look at what they say, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and they failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. Isn't it amazing? They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed the leader in order to return to their slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they committed awful blasphemies. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. And then the word but. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. And what did God do? No more. You're consigned to die. Finish. I'm finished with you. What did God do when they cried out to Him? From heaven you heard them and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers. Here now move to the book of Judges. And if you understand the book of Judges, there are seven cycles. The people sinned and God sent them uh, the oppression and then they cried out to the Lord. God sent them a deliverer and then they delivered, they enjoyed peace for a little while and then they sinned again. After they sinned, they cried out to the Lord and as they cried out to the Lord, God sent them a deliverer and then they had peace. After they had peace for a little while, they sinned again. Seven cycles in the book of Judges. And so now here it moves from Exodus now to, to Judges. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. And then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they rule over them. And when they cry out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobedient, disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you say the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. Now they move into exile, conquered by the... Assyrian and then the Babylonian, you know. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Oh dear, it takes so much time to just unpack this. The people responded to all that God has done for them by being prideful, stubborn pride, disobedient, ungrateful, blatant rebellion, idolatry, unashamed profanity. They not only ignore what God has said, they took steps not to hear it again, but God absorbed their disloyalty repeatedly. And despite of that, God 
was always ready to forgive, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and not forsake them. He was patient with them despite their rebellion. In His great mercy, He did not make an end of them or forsake them because He is gracious and merciful. So this God you worship is a patient and merciful God. Don't play judge. Leave it to God. My time is up. I have one last point I want to give to you. Not just only remember to remember and not just to remember the character of God, but remember His continued faithfulness despite our repeated faithlessness. Because your Christian life is always a journey. Remember His continued faithfulness despite our repeated faithlessness. And then now as they recall the past, it now moves into the present. Verse 32 to 37, they are now reflecting on their current situation where they are in exile, returning now, and they are slowly building, and so, but they are still under the, the, the rule of the, the uh, uh, Persian Empire. Um, and now they shift it to their, their current situation. This is what they say. And now our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps His covenant of unfailing love, he recalled all this thing about God. Do not let all the hardship we have suffered seem insignificant to you. Great trouble has come upon us and upon our kings and leaders and priests and prophets and ancestors, all of your people from the days when the kings of Assyria first triumphed over us until now. Every time you punish us, you were being just. We have sinned greatly and you gave us only what we deserve. No one can complain about that because God is a just God. Our kings, leaders, priests and ancestors did not obey your law and listen or listen to the warning in your commands and law. Even while they had their own kingdom, they did not serve you though you showered your goodness on them. You gave them a large fertile land but they refused to turn from their wickedness. So now today, now he's reflecting his situation, now today we are slaves in the land of plenty that you gave our ancestors for their enjoyment. We are slaves here in this good land. The large produce of this land piles up in the hands of the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They have power over us and our livestock. We serve them at their pleasure and we are in great misery. So as the praying people here rehearse the story of their forefathers, the scene changes from their past to the distress in the present. And hoping for a better future, they approach God in several ways here. He remember His continued faithfulness to them in the past despite of their repeated faithlessness. So they appeal to God, God, look at our situation now. Thank you that you are faithful God, you are patient God, merciful God, gracious God. Be among us. Make something wonderful out of this for us. But God is of course patient because He is always at work accumulating in the person of Jesus Christ in the future. So my friend, it's not just only knowing the God, knowing that God exists, but knowing the God that we worship. That this God you worship, you look at the cross, accumulating in the person of Jesus Christ. So if you want to know who God is, you read the gospel, read who is Jesus. Because Jesus is the personification of who God is. This God made into visible form in the person of Christ and tell the humanity, this is God. 
after you have any doubt about how God is some sort of a idea, you know, uh, look at the person of Jesus Christ and you know this God that you worship. Let me close with this. As I want you to come to God, know that He is loving, know that He is gracious to you, uh, know that despite of what you've done, uh, He is there for you. There's a story about this man. He worked very hard in a small company and he felt that he should have a pay rise. But he was quite rather afraid to ask because if he might get fired, well, you don't want to work, we can always find another time. And so he told his wife and they prayed about it. He said, today I'm going to approach my boss and ask my boss for a pay rise. So he summoned the courage to approach his employer and to his delight, uh, the boss agreed uh, for a race. So the men arrived home uh, to a beautiful table set with their best china. Candles were lighted. His wife had prepared a festive meal. And immediately he figured out that someone from the office had tipped her off. Finding his wife in the kitchen, he told her the good news. And they embraced and kissed and then sat down to a wo wonderful meal. I almost read woeful meal, but it's a wonderful meal. Next to his plate, the man found a beautiful lettered note. And he read this, Congratulations, my dear. I knew you'd get the race. This thing will tell you how much I love you. And while on his way to the kitchen to get dessert, he noticed that a second card had fallen from his wife's pocket. And picking it off the floor, he read this. Don't worry about not getting the race. You deserve it anyway. This thing will tell you how much I love you. So she had two cards. See which one to put. In any case, the meal is there. That's unconditional love, isn't it? Total acceptance, total love, and her love for him was not contingent upon his success at work. And just the opposite, in fact. If he were to fail there, if he were to be rejected by his boss, he would be all the more accepted at home. She stood behind him no matter what, softening the blow, healing the wounds, believing in him, and loving him. And thus, that's the way families can be with each other, and I like to think that that's the way God is with us too. God is with us too. So may we know this God and may we sing as we worship Him. We know that He is always loving, gracious, merciful, patient, kind and you can always come back to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Nehemiah chapter 9. A long prayer recounting in the past who you are. Who said that the Old Testament is all about law and no grace? And who said that only in the New Testament is about grace and Old Testament just a bunch of legalistic law? You are God. You are always showing grace and love, accumulating in the person of Jesus Christ, ultimate expression of who you are by dying on the cross for us to save us and to redeem us. Lord, we sing, we worship, we give you thanks because of this God we worship. Help us as believers to know this God 
Not just know about this God. Not just know God, but know who He is according to the revealed Word of God, telling us who You are. Thank You, Lord. And therefore, we can sing. We are amazed by, the, by Your grace and Your love. Thank You, Lord. Anyone here today, Lord, has strayed away from You, may we return to You. May we remember You. Remember to remember Remember the character of God and remember your faithfulness despite of our faithlessness. Thank you. Thank you for amazing grace. As we sing this song, Lord, help us to know and uh, just rejoice in who you are. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.